With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wolfpack Ninja Podcast, Episode 27. Josh Levin, The Rookie. Welcome to the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. I'm Megan Martin. And I'm Ian Dory. I'm Brian Arnold. And I'm Noah Kaufman, The Ninja Doc. Thanks for joining our weekly conversation about health, fitness, and all things Ninja Warrior. We will be interviewing all of the top American Ninja Warrior stars, and we encourage you to visit our website, www.wolfpackninjas.com. And kids, you can get your free Wolfpack Ninja Cub certificate there. If you like our podcast, please share, subscribe, and like on iTunes. Also, give us a follow on our social media. We're always posting new content, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Wolfpack Ninja and on Instagram at Wolfpack Ninja Warrior. Together, we can make the world a healthier and happier place. So join us. Welcome back to the Ninja Podcast. And guys, we have to talk about the episode last night. Yeah, it was off the hook. It was crazy. Ups, downs, upsets. Was I dreaming? Or did Jesse Graf like pull off an actual superhero move? Did she get second place legitimately? <laughs> yeah. She did. That she was insane. She almost finished the whole thing, dude. It's it's unbelievable. She's a superhero and these courses are hard this year. I mean, these are hard. She, she, she what? She beat, she bested Kevin Bull, Nicholas Coolridge. Yes, and the that's top, amazing. Yeah, she she outperformed the the top guys on the show. Yeah, I think it's really awesome that she was able to do well again. Um, she's definitely proving to be extremely consistent on her qualifiers and city finals. And I mean, I think she always puts on a good show. And I think it's really awesome to see a strong girl doing so well and i mean jesse's an awesome person so it's always nice to see her do well have you gotten to know her very well yeah i feel like in the last couple of years i've gotten to know her pretty well she's really funny and nice and she's very like into exercise which i always think i mean we're all into exercise but she's like a little obsessive about things which is really interesting (laughs) yeah because I'm just not that way, so it's always funny to see how, like, amped she gets about everything, which is awesome. It's just very different from the way I am in terms of exercise. She's always, like, ready to play around and have a good time, so it's pretty cool. She's a stunt woman. Would you ever do that? Yeah, being a stunt woman is pretty cool. I personally, since I want to be an actress, I would rather pursue that and then do my own stunts, but I do think the stunt life is pretty cool. Well, guess what, though? I've got some mind-blowingly good news, you guys. Before we get to Josh Levin's interview, guess who we're going to bring on? Dude, Jesse. Welcome back to the show. Wow. You absolutely killed it out there. Tell us about the experience. I mean, that's crazy. Good job. Congratulations. Oh, man. Well, it was interesting coming into this competition with expectations based on last year. I guess... I felt like I was prepared to complete anything they threw at me until I saw the course. And when I realized how incredibly hard this one was, I had to reevaluate everything. And especially after how pumped I was at the end of the qualifying course, 
I knew I was going to have to be faster, more efficient, and, you know, strategically take my moments of rest where I could if I was going to stand a chance because there's so much jarring, high-impact stuff on on this course in quick succession that it just zaps my grip strength like crazy because I'm not a elite rock climber like you guys, but I'm working on it. And so getting farther than I honestly thought that I could was probably the best experience I've ever had on Ninja Warrior because I've usually come into it thinking I was going to get to a point and falling a little bit short of that, finding a weakness I didn't know I had, and then learning from it and growing. And this time, I didn't think I could do it. And to surprise myself and do better than I thought possible was just the most rewarding feeling I could imagine. So what did it feel like to take second place in such a strong field? I mean, you beat Kevin Bull. <laughs> I still can't believe that happened. Um, I mean, it's crazy competing against people who are so strong, and they're stronger than I am. And I know that when I'm doing the same course, I have to have a strategy. I have to know exactly how I'm going to do it because I don't have time to think about it on the obstacles. If I'm thinking about it while I'm hanging from the rings, my grip strength is draining, and so I need to know exactly what I'm going to do from the beginning. So I planned out every detail as much as I could. I executed it to the best of my ability, and I feel like that was able to get me as far as I was capable of going, and, and I'm, I'm really proud of doing that. How did this affect your preparation for Vegas Finals, do you think? I honestly don't feel like my performance in L.A. has much of an effect on my preparation for Vegas Finals. My approach is always to do as much training as I can to be as strong and as capable as possible. And past performances don't affect those actions. It's all about what do I need to be as healthy as possible, um, how, what's the most that I can train without overdoing it? How do I organize that around my, you know, my work schedule and my stunt training to get the maximum benefit? Um, so that's what I'm going to be doing all the time is just trying to get as strong and capable as I can so that I can perform at my highest ability. Do you even care or think about what you're doing as a woman? Or do you just feel like an equal competitor out there trying to get it done like everyone else? On the course, when I'm competing, I'm an equal competitor just trying to get it done. But when I'm planning my workouts and my training, I have to be a lot more scientific. I know that I don't produce as much testosterone as the male competitors, and I have to be very precise to get maximum strength gains for myself because I'm not going to build muscle as easily as the guys are. Mentally, I can attack the course on an equal playing field with the guys, and that's a huge part of the competition. But Physically, if I want to keep up strength-wise, I have to have a plan. How important is confidence out on the course and in life in general? I think confidence in yourself as a human being and in your ability to conquer obstacles is hugely important. But I think overconfidence is probably the biggest danger you can face on this course. I actually focus primarily on everything that could possibly go wrong on every obstacle. And I break it down into what positive action do I need to think about to prevent that thing from going wrong. I put them in order in my head, and I think only about the things I need to do while staying aware of every every new thing that could go wrong that comes up in front of me and how to adapt to it. So overconfidence is the number one downfall of competitors on the course. 
Jesse, thank you for joining us. You're our hero and your mom too. When are you coming back out to train with the Wolfpack? Uh, most likely you'll get a call from me saying, oh my gosh, I'm coming to Colorado. Can I train with you tomorrow? Um, and if you say yes, the answer is then. But that's about as much notice I, as I ever get with my schedule. So hopefully that'll happen soon. So I need to come climb with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Samo. Oh, my God. Is that who I think it is? <laughs> oh, cute. Cute. Yeah, that's Samo. She's hanging out with me. Samo. Helping me take a break from my training. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Well, there you have it. Friend of the Wolf Pack, an absolute superstar stud, Jesse Graff took second place last night. Hey, go check out her new podcast. It's on YouTube. Go to jessiegraff.com. That's J-E-S-S-I-E-G-R-A-F-F.com. And check out her new podcast, Super Women. It's on YouTube, so it's pretty dang cool. She interviews some of the top women out there. Go check it out. Yeah, okay, so Jesse Graff was amazing, and she's a superhero, but Josh Levin, who is this guy? You know, like, and, and the funny thing is, is I've known Josh since he was a little kid. He's a climber. He's one of us. I know. Actually, I've competed with Josh several times at the national championship for bouldering, and he's a strong competitor, so I'm not surprised that he finished the course, but to do it in your rookie season, it's impressive. Just to pull out such a technical obstacle was awesome. Yeah, it's very rare that you're going to have rookies, perf- you know, like, get the fastest time and win and complete the course. It's, it's very rare, and it shows you the, the skills that Josh has, and I expect really good things out of him in Vegas. Yeah, same here. He's so motivated. He's got a little fire burning. He wants it, you can tell. Yeah, he wants it really bad. He came here to the Wolf Den, and this is actually in this room. This is where I interviewed him. I mean, he came out so that he could train with us and get on the rope with you guys. Yeah, that was the first time that I'd met Josh. And <laughs> if you guys, wait till you guys see him in Vegas because there are not very many people that can climb a rope like Josh Levin can. And we train it. He outclimbed me his first time on the rope. He got a faster time than I do, and I trained the rope. I was legitimately like, oh, here's the future. Because this is gonna this is this is I think just the beginning. Josh is going to be the new breed that we are gonna start seeing of guys who've been watching Ninja Warrior since they were twelve years old and they're trained specifically for it and they're gonna come up and they're going to like be on a whole new level than the rest of us ninjas. So Josh could be easily the next American Ninja Warrior. Absolutely. I think out of all the people that have come out and trained with the Wolfpack, I love all you guys for coming out and training with us but he was the strongest and easily easily and when he didn't do something first try he did a second try his muscle memory was amazing his endurance was amazing he's got to work on a little bit of his coordination and eye foot coordination but he'll get there it's he's amazing yeah he's got years and years to get there 21 Yeah, yeah 21 years old and and showing all the veterans you know how how to finish course it is really inspiring. He has a lot of interesting things to, to say. And just to let you guys know, he's a pretty smart guy also. He's going after engineering, you know, he an engineering degree. And he has interned with Apple and he's interned with NASA. Oh, wow. At, I didn't know that. Yeah, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratories. So he has quite a lot of interesting things to say. And he has some really interesting 
and pretty mature viewpoints. You know, uh, it's it's really interesting. You know, I, I really enjoyed having him out here, and I think that you guys are going to enjoy his interview. Megan, how you know Josh too, don't you? Yeah, um, I met Josh a few years ago when I started climbing again in 2012. He was finishing up his youth competitions at the time when I first met him and starting to do a lot of the adult ones. He's a strong climber, super nice kid, super nice family. I know he's been wanting to do this show for a long time because I remember being at a climbing competition one time. I had already been on the show and he was just so excited about it and like couldn't wait till he turned 21. So I'm expecting really big things from him this year. So we've got a great interview with uh, Josh Levin. How about we take a word from our sponsor and then we get right into it. Let's do it. Kaboom. Today is super, super exciting. You know, we have Josh Levin here, 22 years old from Sunnyvale, California. This guy is awesome. And for those of you who've seen him on the finals course, you know what this guy can do. He's one of the most decorated climbers in U.S. competition climbing history. He's climbed V12 and 14C, which, let's put it this way, that's very, very difficult. He's been the Youth Olympics U.S. representative. He's a 19-time national champion with 10 consecutive speed climbing championships under his belt. But he's smart, too. Okay, He's a real smart guy. He's a mechanical engineer. Uh, he's studying at Northeastern University. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Noah. Well, it's good to have you out training with the Wolfpack, you know. And just so everybody knows, this is a special episode because Josh is here in the studio. And a lot of times we're doing a Skype type of thing, but you're here. I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> good to see you, man. Thanks, Noah. So by now, everybody knows what you're capable of because they saw what you did in LA. Tell us about that. I mean, you were the only finisher. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely a really cool experience coming into LA. I mean, Ninja Warrior is something I've looked forward to for a really, really long time. I've been watching the Sasuke version in Japan and American Ninja Warrior uh, since I was 15, 16 years old. And looking forward to this moment for, for such a long time is like almost surreal to actually be there competing alongside some of these just amazing athletes that we've seen competing in the last couple of years. Like, I mean, Drew Dreschel was there even though he wasn't competing. Flip right. Rodriguez was competing there. Kevin Bull, Jesse Graf, uh, Jesse LaFlair was competing. Like, just being there with all those guys, like, in the mix and, and getting the chance to compete in the course, that was just such a cool experience for me. What was it like to then best a lot of those competitors who are, like, I guess your heroes, who've yeah. been your heroes over the years? Yeah, uh, it it was a I guess a, the easiest way of explaining was a surprise. <laughs> I mean, in qualifiers and finals, I, as you probably were able to see in the episode, you, you you saw me. I was I was taking my time. I wasn't going for the fastest time. I wasn't right. trying to you know blow through the course. I was taking a really measured, really intuitive, hopefully approach to each of the obstacles, catching my breath, making sure I wasn't making any silly mistakes. Um, especially since it is my first year in the show. Like, obviously, if if a lot of people out there who are hoping to compete in Ninja Warrior, you really only get like maybe one or two chances, especially with how casting is done. And it's it's really, really tough to come back sometimes and compete in the show. And I mean, unfortunately, some heap times people like you know, like, yeah, it's there's never a, a guarantee that you'd be back on next year. So, I was so just, you felt pressure to prove yourself the first time out. Sure, sure. But I also just wanted to have a really good time with it. I wasn't trying to like try and go for it really hard and make a simple mistake that would put me in the water. So I really just want to have a good time, let the experience happen however it happened, 
get to meet all these like incredible athletes and then you know one obstacle at a time and fortunately that led me to the top of the finals course <laughs> were you just freaking out on top of the finals course were you just so psyched yeah absolutely it was it was a very surreal experience i think i mean as we were able to see in the the finals episode the uh the course was definitely suited well for climbers yeah uh, especially with the fifth obstacle being the i-beam cross and for climbers that it probably equates to about a v4 which is moderately technical if you're uh if you're a top level climber like the wolf pack all the members of the wolf pack are that i mean i'm sure all you guys would breeze through that so they're never going to put it in your region most likely <laughs> i look like fun yeah so that was a fun obstacle but there was a lot more upper body related obstacles i think that they were putting in there because that was the style they wanted to test in the la region um so fortunately me having a a very long background in competitive climbing i've been competing in youth climbing since i was about seven it definitely was a huge advantage coming in there and having all these upper body related obstacles especially in the back half of the course you have the salmon ladder uh the obstacle called yeah. the wedge with the, the jump the bar forward yeah that was then, so cool yeah and then the double helix and then the invisible ladder obviously but like dessert, you just like ate it up like yeah. dessert. <laughs> yeah, it, it was not easy though. I think that was the biggest thing that I didn't realize coming in because and you watch it on TV and I think every single person when they're sitting there on the couch watching American Ninja Warrior, they're like, oh, I could do that. And so knowing that coming in, I, I did try and give it the benefit of the doubt. I was like, you know what? It could be just a lot harder than it looks like on TV. And it right. was, it yeah. was a lot harder. There's all these variables you would never even consider, like having to run the course at sometimes three in the morning or having lunch breaks that you, you can't control or having like the camera in your face the entire night, having to do interviews, all these other things that you have just no idea are coming. And so all that put together and then having to run the finals course under pressure, under lights, not having to know like when you're going or anything probably not enough sleep yeah absolutely especially since you know it's film back to back so yeah the night before i went went to bed at about seven in the morning and then woke up at 2 p.m got in like a 30 minute climbing session and then had to run over to where it was being filmed so wait wait you climbed before the finals course oh yeah yeah i i make sure <laughs> uh, so about two years ago I, I actually tore my labrum in my left shoulder and we've talked about this a little bit but just for people who are listening to the podcast I had a pretty serious shoulder injury and that required surgery, which I got in December of 2014. So that took me out of competition climbing for a full year. And wow. yeah. after that, I really kind of had this realization, like I really need to warm up extremely well before any sort of athletic activity that I'm doing, especially Ninja Warrior, because it's so taxing the upper body. So I made sure to go to the climbing gym before both qualifiers and finals, get in a really solid warm up because... The thing I realized with Ninja Obstacle is that there is no warm-up Ninja Obstacle. It yeah. starts at, like, V3, and then it just goes up. And with climbing, you know, it's really important if you're going to be climbing something really hard to start out with some V0s, V1s, work your way into it, get the blood flow going. So both qualifiers and final lights, I did make sure to go to the climbing gym and get, like, a very thorough warm-up before even going to the course. Well, I'd say that's really intelligent. And i got to say, I think that a lot of the Ninjas don't get to warm-up at all. And a lot of times they flash pump out, you know, when, when your, your muscles just fill with lactic acid and you just cannot even barely open your hands or close your hands. And I have to say in training with the Wolfpack now, you've been here for a week and you've been training with us and you are like my idol in terms of <laughs> warming up because I need to warm up really well, especially now I'm 41 years old. 
and my body really needs a good warm-up. And you spend more time warming up than I do. I mean, like, you got the bands going. You, you're really careful, really thoughtful about it. You know, I commend you for that. It's, Thank you. It's really, <laughs> it's really impressive. So you got to the end of the course. Mm-hmm. Were you pumped, or what, what were you experiencing, like, when you got to that, the wedge, let's say? Yeah, okay. So definitely a good question, because just from looking at the course and seeing all the testers run the different obstacles, because for those of you who aren't familiar with it, um, before we actually compete on the finals course, there are actually testers on the course that show us each of the different obstacles, how they're meant to be done, so that way the first person doesn't have a disadvantage without having seen anybody. Right. So I was able to watch all the obstacles. I said, okay, you know, these all look doable for sure. They're within the realm of possibility for most of the people here that are competing. So it's it's basically just about who can put it together under pressure, if that sort of thing. Yeah. So having that in mind... I think the biggest thing that was worrying me for the course for both nights and especially the finals course is actually the second obstacle. Oh, uh, of the whole course. Of like the, the whole course. Early on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that one actually terrified me. It was uh, this obstacle called TikTok. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the episode, you start out with a trapeze bar on a platform. You jump off. You have maybe one or two swings, and then you have to jump to this giant pendulum. Yeah. And the pendulum's like 100 pounds, but it's a really big gap. In the qualifying round, I knew that when I did the jump from the trapeze bar to the pendulum, I nailed it just barely enough where I was able to stick it. Oh, yeah. But I knew that if it was, like, any further away, I probably would have fallen in the water. Oh, my gosh. So then in finals, surprise, they actually moved the pendulum back another foot away from the trapeze bar. Oh, you must have been freaking (laughs) out. Yeah, I was like, oh, no. And then (laughs) when they had all the testers go through, the only obstacle any of the testers fell on was the TikTok obstacle. Oh, wow. They couldn't make the jump. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to be really tough. And you said some of the other climbers had even fallen there. There's a lot of other climbers there who are, like, 512 ability. Uh, maybe V6, V7. Mm-hmm. A couple of my really good friends, they all got taken out by that obstacle. Uh, and then even in finals, uh, we saw Natalie Duran and Ted Jung. They got both taken out by that, that specific obstacle. Oh, yeah. So it it was a very much like... Almost, it wasn't necessarily height dependent, but you had to get a really good swing. So I was very nervous about that one just because I have like a little bit of background with trapeze bar i did find your piece about a year or two yeah but it was definitely the one i was most worried about so i made sure to get a really big swing and was able to get that jump but after that i was like okay thank goodness <laughs> so did you did you have a lot of fun out there is it as fun yeah, as it looks absolutely 100 percent. and i think the biggest difference is in something like a climbing competition it's it's very much you and the wall and that's it nothing else matters you can't hear anything you can't see anything unless you have like a a really nice rest and you can look to the crowd but you're very much in tune with what's going on and this was so different and exciting and fun for me just because you have your friends and family there right alongside you yeah (laughs) and in between each obstacle is there's a natural pause so you can actually like go and say hi to them you can even talk to them if you want yeah and they're so psyched just to be there and like have the have the whole experience with you so even when you're running the course you can get to the top and if you hit the buzzer like it's not just you that's celebrating up there almost. It's like your whole family and your friends and everyone watching on TV. So yeah, It's surreal. It's like a yeah. dreamlike kind of yeah. experience. Absolutely. Going back really quickly to the, the wedge obstacle, though, yeah. that's what you asked me about yeah. earlier. I think heading into that one, I was feeling pretty good. I, I tried to get through the first six obstacles uh, relatively quickly with good enough rest in between them. 
the thing that really surprised me is how tired my biceps were. Oh. Because... Not your fingers or... No, it was surprising because I, I made sure to do a lot of power endurance training up and bef- before that competition. Tell, tell it, our listeners what power endurance training means. What, sure, is, what is that? Sure. In climbing terms, power endurance is sort of the practice of doing harder moves. So you're not really doing like the easiest moves possible or you're not doing the absolute hardest moves possible. You're doing some, somewhere in the middle. So like a medium intensity of actual difficulty of the moves themselves but a lot of them so that yeah. way it's you're not necessarily the strongest person ever and you're not the most endurance based athlete ever you're kind of somewhere in the middle yeah and that's what i prepared for for this season of endure and i think that was what really helped me get through the obstacle course without too much pump in my forearms so that was good after i got past the warp wall and I was looking at the wedge obstacle you know everyone before me had fallen there yeah so it was really intimidating going up to that one and being you know well let's see how it goes because not only do you have to make sure that the bar is even on both sides but even if you get to the very end of that obstacle there's still a huge lache you have to make to the very end of the platform yeah you got to throw your body yeah and the I wasn't able to see anyone else try it because I was mostly in the back and like getting in the zone, like reading a book. or Right, right. But I heard that even if some people were able to get to the end, sometimes when they try and do the lache off, the bar would move on them. Oh, wow. Yeah, so once I got past that one and I got to the the Helix obstacle, while I was looking at the course, I was thinking, okay, you know, I I think I can do this obstacle. Like, it doesn't look too challenging for a climber. But when I got there, my biceps were so dead at that point. And I was like, (laughs) "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, we'll see how this goes. So I just tried to get that through that one as quickly as I could. And then once I got to the invisible ladder, um, my biceps were so dead that I couldn't even do a pull-up. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. I kind of had to wiggle my way up. And luckily, the counterweights on the other side of the invisible ladder were good enough that I could do that. But wow. if it had been anything less than that, that you had to actually like do multiple pull-ups on them, I don't think I would have been able to get up. <laughs> so how hard was the course? You've been asked this before, but in a climbing grade... How hard was it? Give us a route grade and a bouldering grade. Okay. Well, it was probably about a, a 13A, maybe 13B, considering I had, like, the the wedge obstacle I had to do, like, a really big lache off of. But the wedge obstacle itself, I would probably grade it around V7, V8. That was the most technically difficult wow, one out there. Wow, cool. Yeah. And so now you saved the day. You saved the day because you were the <laughs> only one to do it. I mean, if you hadn't have done it, then there would have been no completions that night and that is unprecedented that hasn't happened yet in american ninja warrior do you think that might happen this season it could i mean they're really amping up the difficulty of the obstacles it seems like and we're seeing one two maybe three finishes in some of the the courses so yeah it'll depend on you know who who has a good night who, who wants it the most that sort of stuff but i mean in la like i i had no idea that it would come down to that especially since I was the, like, 12th to last person to go. Oh, okay. So there were still many, many people after me who I was, I was at least thinking in my mind, like, oh, yeah, I'm sure at least a couple other people were able to get through it. Yeah. Um, and obviously that wasn't the case, but people that were competing there had the ability to do it for sure. I mean, each of those obstacles, especially, like, stuff like the Invisible Ladder, I think right. anyone who had gotten it, like, if you were to give everyone a 30-minute rest and have, say, everyone, okay, try the Invisible Ladder, like... I have Easy. no doubt everyone yeah. would be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's putting all the obstacles together under pressure at night, minimal rest, and you just have to go for it. So, 
So now tell us about Jesse Graff. I mean, she took second place, yeah. like in a in a pretty stacked field with men and women. That was incredible. Absolutely, I. I she almost beat you. Oh, almost yeah. beat you, Josh. Oh, she she's yeah. She has the strength to to do so well in any competition, regardless of male or female competing. Uh, and I would absolutely have to say she did the wedge obstacle the best out of anybody, uh, absolutely myself included. I don't know if you if you were able to see the episode. I was trying to take these very small hops to just be really conservative and not fall. And she has just the most amazing body coordination and athleticism to just do it in a couple of hops, and then her lishy off of it just made it look so easy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I look up to her. She's she's a superhero <laughs> for me just because of her athleticism and and the way she's been able to take something like Ninja Warrior and really just fly with it. So so we're recording this. You know, the the episode's going to come out right after your episode in in finals for LA, but we are actually recording this in the Wolf Den here in Fort Collins, Colorado, the week before Vegas, before mm-hmm. finals. Are you excited? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh dude, you know, part of me wishes I was going with you guys. It's, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of sad because I know how fun it is and yeah. I want to be part of the community too. Yeah, I wish you were coming with us, man. You're the one who first said climbers going to be the ones that are taking on this course. And, <laughs> I mean, I was like at least I think all the climbers the knew that was probably yeah. true. We were like, yeah, yeah that's probably true. Yeah, you're the first, you're the, the shepherd, if you want to say. Like, <laughs> one that said, yes, we're going to do it. Yeah. I think I came off maybe as being a little cocky. <laughs> that. I didn't yeah, mean that's to. That's what they love to hear, though. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny. Yeah. I've been I've been trying to, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about the show, again, is that the producers will try and force a story out of you. They'll yeah, like and they'll you. make you look a certain way. They can very easily do it because they get all this footage. Yeah. And they can catch, like, an off-kilter joke. Yep. And they can just, they can spin it. And so, like, I don't know if you know this, but guys like Rob Morofsky. Yeah. Who look like a total buffoon. Oh, Rob is, like, the nicest guy he's ever. He's the <laughs> nicest guy. He's, like, he's like your bro. Like, yeah. I love the guy. Like, oh he's, he's actually cool. But when yeah. you see him on TV, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Who is this it's guy? It's really unfortunate, too, because a lot of my friends, all I know of him is from TV. And I'm like, guys, he's, like, the coolest guy ever. So, Rob, if you're listening out there, much respect, man. You're super cool. Yeah, Rob is cool. <laughs> Rob can come hang any day. I like yeah. Rob. <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully you get to do Team Ninja and stuff. And It'd be a lot of fun. Oh, I'd, I'd be psyched for that. <laughs> you are kind of, uh, and there's nothing wrong with this, you're kind of like a Sasuke American Ninja Warrior, kind of like a nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you kind of grew up with this stuff. You wanted Absolutely. to do it. And, yeah. I mean, and it's awesome. So now you finally get your shot at the mountain. What's that like? Whew, it's uh, it's really exciting. Uh, obviously, it's, <laughs> it's something that you, you hope you get the chance to do someday, and it's just really exciting opportunity for me to even be here. So I, I'm just looking forward to going in and having a lot of fun, and it'll be my first experience. So, again, obviously the, the goal is always to conquer the mountain, get to the top of Midoriyama. But obviously my mentality is to take it one stage at a time, one obstacle at a time. So not overlook anything. Make sure I have as much preparation as possible. And through my training that I've done here with the Wolf Pack at, at the Wolf Den, yeah. uh, I definitely feel a lot more prepared for the different types of obstacles that we'll see out there. Yeah, and I'll just tell you from, uh, you know, being a, a veteran for several years, have fun out there. You know, don't make it be the most important thing ever. <laughs> and, you know, just just have a good time. And now we've talked a little bit about, you know, just the fact that you're going to Vegas and you've had the opportunity to be a role model and you... Tell us a little bit about your story this year. Sure. 
we're not able to see what aired on TV, but one of my big parts of my application this year is sharing a story of a woman that means a lot to me personally. Um, her name's Stacy Culver, and she probably had the biggest impact on my life than any other person I could probably say. Wow. Uh, and that that's that's saying a lot, and I absolutely mean 100% of that. So our, our story starts out, I was about four and a half years old, and first time ever walked into the local climbing gym in Mountain View, California called Twisters, and the coach there is named Stacy. And so I did my first climbing lesson for the day, and was with a big group, and when I was younger, I was really shy. Like, I did not enjoy socializing with other kids my age. <laughs> just just did not know how to do it socially. And so at, at that point, I was like, okay, climbing's not for me. I'm done. I really don't want to do this anymore. I just mm. did not enjoy that kind of atmosphere because right. there was a lot of pressure like, oh, can you go all the way to the top of the 25-foot wall? That was just way too high for me. 25 yeah. feet, oh, oh, my goodness. That was like, you know multiple times a body height. <laughs> yeah. I was maybe like three and a half feet at that point. I don't know. <laughs> so fortunately, Stacy, uh, she's really, really good with kids. And she took me aside and she said, hey, Josh, you know, I, I see that you're really passionate about climbing. I see you really like it. Uh, but maybe the group lesson isn't for you. So she actually offered to give me private lessons uh, instead of the group lessons. So that way I could maybe build some confidence, build some skills, oh, cool. some strength, and then maybe transition back into the group lessons later. Um, so, you know, reluctantly I was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'll try this out. And, um, fortunately she was encouraging enough and, and believed in me enough and had started developing this amazing relationship with me that I, I stuck with it. Uh, really enjoyed going to the practice with her cause she would always encourage me to, you know, try something hard, even if it was too hard for me. And if I failed, she says, you know what, this is just one step along the path to succeeding at something Like you're going to fail a thousand times. And that one time you succeed, it's going to mean everything. What a great lesson. Yeah. So she really got me into climbing in the first place. And I can 100% say right now, without that, I have no idea where I'd be in life. Like, hmm. absolutely not. Because climbing is such a huge identifier for me. It's something I really, really embrace. And it's part of my life so deeply that without it, I don't, I don't even know where I'd be. It's amazing. I agree 100%. I feel the same way. Yeah. And then when I was about 10, um, Stacy started to get a little bit sick. And we weren't really sure what was going on. Maybe she had asthma. She had some respiratory problems. Um, we had no idea what it was. And then in 2003, um, she came to practice one day and gathered a team together. And she, she told us that she had this extremely, extremely rare lung disease. And the lung disease is called lymphangial leomyomatosis. And it's abbreviated to LAM for short, L-A-M. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty scary moment for all of us because that was kind of when we realized, like, wow, I mean, this is our coach, someone we look up to and we respect a lot and yeah. whose who's instruction guides us forward. And without that, it's kind of like it's losing a, almost a parental figure. It's like, oh, wow, what do, what do we do now? Well, did she tell you, like, that this could kill me or I, yeah. I might die? It was it was pretty serious. And currently, and at a point in time, too, the, the only cure for this disease because uh, it's a degenerative lung disease, it, it eats away at your lungs. Um, the only cure for it is a double lung transplant. Oh my gosh. And so she got put on the waiting list to receive a double lung transplant in 2003. And it was a definitely a scary time for us because she kind of, after a little bit of time, uh, her lungs started deteriorating really fast. She went from, you know, normal lung capacity like you or I, 
uh, it dropped to like 50% in a couple months, and then it was down to 40, 30, 20%. She had to be on oxygen tanks the entire time. She couldn't leave the house. So after after about a year of her being on the waiting list for the double lung transplant, her lung capacity had dropped to about 11%. So extremely dangerously low. She really couldn't move or walk, and it was... It was getting close to the point where it was like, could this be the end? We're not really sure. And it was, it was a pretty scary time for all of us, I think. And especially for someone like me, who Stacy just kind of helped me get into climbing, which has since become the biggest passion of my life. Yeah. Um, so fortunately, she did end up receiving a double lung transplant in November 2004 uh, from an anonymous donor, I might add, which, which was really, really thankful um, and can't tell you just in words just how much that meant to me just because she's able to survive that and continue on living and thriving so this was an organ donor probably from like a car accident or something right and even the the bigger part of it is that stacy's a really small woman she's probably about four foot eleven i'm not sure i could ask her but uh she's she's very small and with organs like that, you need to have someone who's relative in size to you. So more than likely, this organ that was donated, these lungs, were from a child that died in an accident. Oh, wow. So it, it, it's just really incredible that someone that young, and their parents especially too, would be able to have the foresight and the heart to say, you know what, you know, my, my child has just died. Like This is probably one of the hardest moments for you as a parent. But we want to make sure that someone else has a chance at life. And so being able to take this, this horrible, horrible instance of someone dying and turning that into donating life, that was so powerful. And obviously, it's not only affecting just Stacy, it's affecting everyone around her. That's amazing. Yeah, including myself, all my teammates, my family, her family. It's, you, know, you think about the human web of connections we make, and it's, it's hundreds, if not thousands of people that it affects. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that anybody wouldn't be yeah. an organ donor, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Like everybody should, it should, it should just be, you should just do it. Yeah. And it, it, that's definitely something that I've taken into account, especially registering for a driver's license. They ask you, would you like to be an organ donor? That was the easiest choice for me ever. Yeah. I was like, yes, of, of course. course. <laughs> if I happen to pass away, unfortunately, I mean, that's the end of my life, but I can not only save someone else's life potentially, or, you know, if you're an organ donor, you actually have the potential to save up to eight people's lives with the different types of organs you can donate. Wow. Which yeah. is pretty cool. Um, so you think about that, eight people, and then multiply that by the hundreds or thousands of people they are connected to. Right. That's a huge impact you can make just by saying, yes, of course I want to be an organ donor. And there's no downside at all. The life expectancy for someone with this double lung transplant is about 50% for five years. And that was 12 years ago. <laughs> so oh, wow. not only did she survive this you know, very risky procedure, but she thrived. She came back, she was climbing like 512A, which is, for those of you who aren't climbers, pretty difficult grade to achieve. Uh, Yeah, Jesse Graff just like climbed her first 12A this year. Yeah, yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah, and she was climbing those in the gym with like an oxygen cord attached to her, so it's pretty incredible. Um, And even beyond that, she was actually competing in the U.S. transplant games. And she won three gold medals in badminton at the U.S. Transplant Games. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. So she's a superhero of mine for, like, so many reasons. <laughs> and that all comes back to that first day when I walked in the climbing gym. You know, like, I want to I meet her and see her on the show or whatever. And I'd love to 
I mean, is she sick again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's waiting for her second double lung transplant. Best case scenario, she gets her sub- second double lung transplant. Even then, it's it's the, the risk of the first double lung transplant times 10. Oh, Which wow. is really crazy. And one of the things that uh, I didn't realize at first until we went and walked through it is the fact that the first time, especially for something as specific as a lung transplant, uh, you remove your current lungs and you put in the, the donor's lungs yeah. and it's a relatively, <laughs> as easy as a lung transplant go, that's as easy yeah. as you're going to get. You know, hook up the air tube and, yeah. the, and the, two bl- the blood tubes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and obviously you have to go through a lot of rehabilitation and like a lot of hospital visits. The second time, if you go for a second double lung transplant, um, there's a lot of scar tissue that's built up. And mm-hmm. what ends up happening is that the, the lungs they'll try and like attach themselves to like the inner walls of your, your yeah. stomach or what I don't know the stomach, but yeah, thoracic cavity. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So removing them is extremely risky and ex- uh, it can be super complicated. I see. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you probably know a lot more about that than I do. I, I don't know very much about lung transplants except okay. for having to deal with people in the emergency department who are having rejection issues yeah. or who, yeah, I, I I mean it's yeah, and, and I'm sorry to ask a tough question straightforward yeah. like if, you know, but it's yeah. I mean she must have in order to have survived the way she has, she must have an incredible spirit and attitude. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean it's we're we're thankful for the time we've had. Like again, yeah. when she got the lung transplant in 2004, like she may have made it the last five years. That was 12 years ago. So every single moment that we're together we were spending time with her that's that's a special moment so, so you remember the story the the little boy aiden who uh yeah and, and now he's gone he, yeah. he died but he slowly he had a tumor well he had an osteosarcoma in his leg and the tumor eventually metastasized obviously and that's what finally got him but it went to his lungs and so they had to resect portions of his lungs and yeah i mean it, it was it was just a, a really tough you know, it was a tough thing. And it was really interesting because he never knew. You know, I don't think he knew. I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. But, um, you know, he didn't know when, when he was going to die or about to die or whatever. And, uh, yeah, his mom and dad, it was just such a crazy time, dude. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I wasn't I wasn't as close with him as you were with Stacy or anything. Sure. But just to see someone die from a disease that... And, and seriously, with... With genomic medicine that's coming out in the next hundred years, a lot of these type of diseases are going to be fairly easy to cure. It's kind of wow. it's like the advent of antibiotics. Wow! But people are just born before the the genomic revolution. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just right on the horizon what we're gonna what we're able to do with uh, stem cells and whatnot. And like, oh yeah, you have liver cancer. Well, just here, we'll take a good <laughs> liver cell and make another liver for you, and that's going to be standard. Wow. You know, so in, and literally it's 10, 20 years away. So in 20 years, there's going to be a time when transplants are like, people used to do transplant. There's actually going to be a time, it's still 10, 20 years away, at least. Maybe, maybe it's 50 years away. Yeah. But we're going to just make people new organs. And, That's um, crazy. Isn't that sci-fi? That's amazing. Yeah. That's pretty insane. Donatelife.net. Absolutely. Yeah. If you haven't registered in his organ donor, it takes literally about 30 seconds and then you're registered. So again, if you know, all of us will die someday. That's something that 
I mean, we all have to come to terms with whether you want to do that now or later. That's completely up to you, and I want to respect everyone's decision. But if you are able to and willing to take the time, 30 seconds, to register as an organ donor, I would highly, highly encourage that. So now you can say, hey, you know, I'm going to register as an organ donor so that uh, in the event that I die, it's not only my death, but you're also providing life and hope and happiness and joy to thousands of other people. It's an incredible mission, and, and I really, I really like it, and I totally agree with it. And I think there needs to be more awareness about it. And we'll try and include some education in our show notes. But I want to use this also as a pivot point and ask you, why do you think that the ninjas take on these missions? And, and you know, I could answer this, too, because, you know, the Wolfpack, we have our own mission and we're trying to and we're all trying to make the world a better place. And this is not something that the show has told us to do or anything. It's something that we're just trying to use the platform for. Why do you think that happens? Right. So I think. The, the biggest thing that I'm, I'm noticing more and more ninjas latch onto is the fact that, again, we can have such a huge positive impact on the world. And you with the Wolfpack, you've taken, you know, this, this group of friends that you're competing with in the show, and it's been like a no, nice, fun experience. But then you say, hey, you know, there's obstacles we're conquering in the course. Let's tackle an even bigger obstacle. Let's tackle childhood obesity. Yeah. That is such a cool thing because... The biggest difference between something like competing on Ninja Warrior and something like competing on rock climbing, which is what I'm familiar with, is that the audience you're talking to is so much bigger. One of the things that I realize, and I'm hoping more and more ninjas continue to realize, is that when you're talking on the show, it's it's not just, you know, I'm competing against everyone else. And yeah, that is that. And that is the, the mission of the show. You know, we obviously want to do well and compete and yeah. conquer the course, but... It's such a bigger mission for us that we can say, hey, we're not only talking to our the people on the show, people, producers, other people we're competing against, friends, family. We're speaking directly to almost 7 million people yeah. per night and even more through other forms of social media. And because we have such a huge outreach, like 7 million people, I can't even think about how many people that is. Yeah. And we're there on TV. We're not only like talking, we're talking and they're listening and hanging on our every word. So my thought coming into Ninja Warrior was like, you know, I, I have this opportunity to speak to 7 million people for one minute. What am I going to say? Yeah. And with that realization, I say, hey, you know, I, I could talk about any of my climbing exploits or, you know, maybe something I'm working on or the competition itself. But if I can turn that into something really positive and have some sort of really, really high-reaching social impact, for example, organ donation, which is something that I believe very, very strongly in because of my relationship with Stacy and you know everything else that I've learned, 120,000 people are counting on us. Yeah. That becomes such a bigger positive message, and it's more easily accessible by everyone than, oh, hey, I'm going to try and do the salmon ladder like blindfold or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Something silly like that, or other training things that we do that we take really seriously as competitors and athletes, but we can, we can spread that message so much further beyond our reach as an athlete or a ninja warrior competitor or a climber or anything that anyone does on the show because we're reaching such a huge audience. Well, that, and that brings up a really good point. You know, the Ninja Warriors on the show and the show itself, it, it is so much more than a competition or just a TV show. It's like a movement, really. It's like a really positive movement where the ninjas are spokespeople for kind of like a way of life and like a philosophy of let's get this country 
this this world, our kids, the future. Let's get everybody, you know, working together because, I mean, that's the way that you eliminate a lot of the big problems in the world, um, or at least reduce them. Is every somebody's got to work towards it, right? And that's a big obstacle. And I, I think, I think that you've hit right on the head of the nail, and that is that. It's more than just about you when you're a competitor out there. And yeah, you, Josh Levin, went out and dominated. High five, dude. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Good. I mean, that was that was awesome. Thank you. But you're using that for a real good thing. You know, it's kind of like uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And, <laughs> and his dad is like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And and that's kind of a cliche term. And, and we're not really superheroes, but, <laughs> but we do play one on TV. And... Uh, I think I think that what what you're doing is is really noble and thank you. It it's super awesome. Uh, let me ask you, what are your plans after Ninja Warrior? Now next week is Vegas. Who knows what's going to happen? Are you going to be the next American Ninja Warrior uh, <laughs> champion? I I hope so. I don't know. I, I hope so for you. But yeah, thanks. But what what are your plans after Ninja? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm hoping to take a couple weeks off and really kind of extract myself from all this craziness i'm hoping to do like a little trip to yosemite we'll see oh yeah uh and then beginning of july i'm headed right back out to school so i have a summer semester be back out there for two months uh a couple week break and then fall semester uh and then i graduate in may 2017 well congratulations thank you how (laughs) much uh how much training have you been doing for american ninja warrior what's your kind of like take us through um, a day or a week or what What do you do? Sure. So specifically preparing for the LA qualifiers and finals, I had a pretty interesting routine. So I've actually been doing a six-month internship or what we call co-op at Apple in Cupertino, California for the past five months. So it was a really cool opportunity for sure, but it made training extremely difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. <I laughs> Especially bet. since I was doing a lot of traveling. There's a lot of jet lag. I wasn't really sure what time zone I was on all the time. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, the Ninja Warrior episodes that we're filming are actually filmed from about 4 p.m. till 5 in the morning. So it's all night. You just stay up. You're not really sure when you're going to run. It could be at 3 in the morning. You really have no idea. Lunch. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So my training mostly consisted of climbing. And that's one thing that I've been really focusing on because two years ago when I did injure my shoulder, I was actually preparing for my first season of Ninja Warrior. I was getting really psyched up for it because I knew you had to be 21. I was going to turn 21 the next year. So I went and traveled around to as many different ninja locations as I could, like practicing the obstacles, like doing these competitions. And then right in the middle of the summer before I turned 21, that's when I hurt my shoulder, got labrum. uh, I tore my left shoulder labrum and then got surgery that December. So one of the things I took away from that is that Ninja Warrior is actually extremely, extremely hard on your body, especially your shoulders. Yeah. And for me now, like rehabilitating out of that and having to do a lot of shoulder exercises and a lot of stuff to rehabilitate for that, I kind of realized that I can't just train Ninja Warrior. I have to do mostly climbing and then practice the Ninja Warrior obstacles enough where I'm familiar with them. But I really can't spend too much time there because it's just so intensive on your body, Um, especially with impactful obstacles like the salmon ladder, the flying bars, any type of parkour obstacle that you're like really having to do a big jump and come down really hard on something. 
that's where I kind of realized that I need to take a step back from. So fortunately, climbing, you can dial down as much as you want to where you're climbing not as intensive of a, of a climb, but you can dial up the difficulty a lot. Oh, yeah. So my training before I like qualifiers was probably about 90 to 95% climbing. Like I did wow, a lot cool. of, I did a lot of sport climbing, a lot of bouldering, a lot of finger strength stuff, a lot of power endurance, as I was saying. Uh, and then ninja training when and where I could. And I made sure not to do too much because it would get, it's just so hard on my shoulders. That being said though, I was, because I was working long hours and doing a lot of travel, uh, I, I did, a set of conditioning three times a day at work. So I'd, I'd go to work and once I bike... <laughs> wait, the, wait, what? Yeah. So I actually live in Sunnyvale, California, and Apple's headquartered in, in Cupertino. So I'd bike to work every day. It's about a 15-minute bike ride. And once I get to work, I do three sets of conditioning per day. And a set of conditioning for me is like 35 pull-ups, 12 leg lifts, and 40 push-ups. And so I'd bike to work knock out one of those takes me like five to 10 minutes and then, you know, work until lunch right before lunch. I do another set. And then right after, right before I'd go home, I do one more set. That is cool. Yeah. So that was like trying to ramp up for Ninja Warrior after I got my call back and everything. And then even while I was traveling around in China, I actually, I actually found a Ninja Warrior gym to go practice on. While I was in China? There. In China. Yeah. Oh, in wow. Shanghai. Yeah. It's called Iron Dragon. If any of you guys <laughs> are going to Shanghai anytime soon, there's a, parkour slash ninja warrior gym so tell us a little bit about th this in incredible the incredible internships you've done and, and you you worked at jet propulsion laboratories correct yeah so my degree program at northeastern uh we actually do three extended internships for six months or co-ops as an engineer yeah as an engineer and it's for all majors actually so again one of my really good friends is actually going off and she's currently doing a co-op in south africa raising penguin chiclets oh wow yeah, so that's pretty cool but yeah for my uh my second internship i actually was able to land a position at the nasa jet propulsion laboratory working on the mars 2020 rover project oh wow which was a super cool experience for me and like the actual rover that's going to land on mars in 2020 yes that's what that means yeah no way yeah <laughs> that is so sci-fi yeah it was really cool and it it was a it came at a really interesting point in time in my life just because the summer before that's when i was really ramping up my training to hopefully compete on ninja warrior when i turned 21 and it's been something i'm looking forward to since i was you know really young 15 16 years old and i was yeah. like really excited about it and all of a sudden that's taken away from me so to have yeah. this like incredible opportunity come at this point in my life was a really unique change of pace for me just because one of the, the interesting things that you know has kind of become part of my life is i've I've found this thing I'm super passionate about, rock climbing, and now getting into something I'm also really passionate about, Ninja Warrior. And for the longest time, I've taken you know my education like very seriously. I've tried to do really well in school. Uh, take my classes really seriously. I'm going to college for mechanical engineering, but it's always just been like school. It's it's kind of like a separate part of my life that you know I've been doing, and I'm not really sure what the actual outcome of it is. I'm not really sure maybe where I want to go with it. It's it's just kind of something that I've known I need to work on in order to maybe achieve a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. And that, that's like part of our culture. So having this opportunity, like, it was really cool for me because not only, you know, I'm really passionate about climbing, but I love 
space-related things. And I'm a huge sci-fi nerd for sure. So oh, like, that's awesome. One of the most influential movies for me, absolutely without a doubt, is Star Wars. And having like that sort of culture and like growing up and playing with Star Wars like was my entire life and yeah. like just being really excited about space and space exploration specifically. Uh, having this opportunity to work at somewhere like NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, that is like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And so it's huge, like almost dream come true for me. Like being able to have somewhere where my educational experience is actually putting me somewhere where there's people working around me that are just as passionate about putting a rover on Mars as I am about rock climbing. Yeah. And wow. that was a mind-opening experience for me because, you know, for, for a lot of kids out there, it's it's really hard to be excited about school or be excited about something that right. takes a lot of work or yeah, time and energy hard. to get through. And, I mean, it, it's hard to see, like, what kind of light there is in the tunnel. Like, I just got to get through school, get my degree, get a job, like, make money. What, what does that mean? Is that going to be something that's going to be fun or... For most kids, it's like something like Ninja Warrior. Like that's exciting. It's so right there in the moment. Yeah. And so having this opportunity um, at a point in time in my life where I've just been like had the most devastating injury of my climbing career. I right. tore my shoulder. Right. Right. I was. I'm told I can't compete for a full year. I'm have. I can't climb for four months. I can't do anything. Oh, you could get depressed. Yeah. So it's it's definitely tough. So being able to have this like truly ruled altering experience uh working somewhere like jpl it was super cool so are you going to be an astronaut now <laughs> i don't i don't know that's that's definitely like tough question <laughs> uh i think space is something that like really intrigues me the program that i got to be on specifically was a mars rover that's going to be very similar to the curiosity rover that landed on mars in 2012 uh, but it's going to launch in 2020 and the goal of this rover is to actually go up take samples of the Martian soil that up there. And the proposed mission is that there's actually going to be a secondary mission that comes up maybe a year or two later, picks up these samples, blasts off from Mars, and returns the samples to Earth, which is the coolest thing ever. Wow, get some Mars dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's something that's never been done in the history of humanity. So it's yeah. like super, super groundbreaking. From a different planet. I mean, we got, yeah. we've got moon dirt. Sure, <laughs> yeah. So this is something that is like absolutely going to be like mind or world altering for us because yeah. we currently don't really know too much about the Martian soil other than what's on we've learned from the Curiosity rover and other rover programs that have been there. Uh, but if we're able to take this this soil and bring it back to Earth and actually able to look at it in laboratory conditions, we can then determine whether life can be sustainable on on Mars or how life progressed on Mars in the past, all these different questions can then be answered. So it's a super cool mission, and it's something that I came into, and I was like, wow, this is this is not only cool and, like, the, you know, the sci-fi geeky kind of nerd kind of cool, but also something that's, like, very, very deep level for me, something I'm truly passionate about. So something that I realized was that I can take this like incredible passion I have for rock climbing or Ninja Warrior or something like that and apply it to something like doing a, a mission to another planet and recovering samples, yeah. stuff like that. And it's, it's the exact same kind of passion. And the people around me that have this passion, they're taking the exact same emotions and, and feeling they have towards this and applying it to doing something like world changing. 
And you can do it with medicine. That's what I've done. I mean, it's you're Absolutely. right. You can do it with intellectual pursuits. So there's not just physical. The, the coolest part about it is that the sky's not the limit. Mm. If you yeah. dream big and you work hard, anything is possible. And that blew my mind. I was like, wow, we can, we can go get stuff from Mars. We can send these like satellite missions all the way out to the edge of our solar system. That's what these people who take the same passion that I have for climbing and apply it to these real world problems or, or challenges, that's what we can do. Yeah. And I think one of the coolest things that we can then take or I can take with me and, and show hopefully a lot of kids that are watching the show or that are excited about STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. And if they can apply the same kind of passion they have for whatever it is they love to do, whether it be climbing Ninja Warrior or anything else, and apply it to solving real-world challenges, I think the world could be a really, really cool place. Yeah, to just make the world a better place. Absolutely. So well, That's really good. Now, if people are like, okay, these climbers <laughs> are doing so well on Ninja, and maybe maybe I should go in and start climbing a little bit. What would be your advice to new climbers who they're going in the gym for the first day? What do they do? They see all this red and yellow, pink, blue, green <laughs> plastic on the wall. What should what should they try and do? Well, I definitely agree with your fact that you should go climbing first rather than maybe going and trying Ninja Warrior first. It's definitely a lot of fun, but I would at least advocate for climbing as a really good way to build up the necessary power and strength to go and compete on something like Ninja Warrior. So that's definitely something I would recommend. For first-time climbers, it's it's really important to uh, definitely go with friends. Like, the thing that a lot of people take for granted in the climbing community is it's such a social experience. Like, yeah. you're going in there, you're having fun, and one of the coolest things about climbing is it's so supportive. It's not like me versus you, although it can be if you want it to be. Yeah. It's... Us collaborating together, working on problems to overcome them together, which I think is really unique and something that sets climbing apart from most other sports. And Ninja Warrior especially, too, is, is you see uh, all the co top competitors, we're cheering each other on constantly while we're on the sidelines. Totally. So it's a really collaborative sport. We're not necessarily saying, like, I want to beat you. Well, some people can. That's totally human nature, competitiveness. Um, but at least for me, like, I strive to be the best that I can be, and I want to help encourage other people to do the best that they can do as well. And that's something that's really deeply ingrained in both climbing and Ninja Warrior. And that's what separates those sports, I think, from a lot of other ones. So for first-time climbers, I'd say definitely try and go with friends. Don't try and, you know, push yourself too hard the first day. What ends up happening is if you've never done anything that's, like, grip-intensive, so climbing or gymnastics or trapeze or something like that, then... Your hands definitely tend to get pretty roughed up. Um, but yeah, just like go and have a good time. Try out bouldering. That's the one that you can do up to 15 feet or so with nice soft mats on the ground. Try and get a group lesson if you can. There's like introduction to climbing courses you can take. And one of the biggest things you should definitely do is if you see someone there that's obviously a very experienced climber, go up to them and ask them a question. Hey man, how's it going? Like, my name is Josh. I'd like to know like how long you've been climbing, what sort of tips you have for me guaranteed almost 100% that person will be like, hey, man, awesome, nice, you're climbing. Like, yeah, for sure I'll help you out. Like, which one do you want to try? So then... There's a lot of nice people in the gym. Yeah, it's true. absolutely. I think I think one of the things that you should be at least aware of is that most people want to help you out. It's not super competitive. No one wants to say, hey, go away, for the most part. <laughs> people want to see people succeeding at their own goals. 
So go with a bunch of friends if you want. Ask people for help. You're always going to get, hopefully, some really good advice. And just have fun with it. What would you What would you tell to the, the kids out there who just saw you dominate the L.A. course and they're like, oh, my gosh, I want to be... Josh Levin. <laughs> how, so, do, how do they become like you? <laughs> how do they become like you? That's, that's a really good question. I think the biggest number one thing, and it's going to sound cliche, is always follow your passion. That is something that is really, really mes- resonated with me over the years just because with something like rock climbing, it's not necessarily a mainstream sport. But having done it for so long and realized that something I truly love to do, it's not something that, you know, was forced upon me. My parents didn't even rock climb before I started. It was something that I found instinctually and I latched onto it and I was like, this is awesome. I love doing this. And, you know, my heroes in climbing growing up were people like, you know, and Chris <laughs> Sharma and I mean, Sean McCall and all of them. You can't place me with those guys. <laughs> okay. Thanks, I mean, I saw, I, I've been seeing you crush in Tahoe. You're like a local, you know, <laughs> celebrity almost. And on the cover, like all those guidebooks. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, I mean, yeah, like people like that. Lynn Hill, obviously, super huge pioneer in the sport of climbing. Amazing. Yeah. So all these people for me, like I looked up to and I saw them doing a sport like climbing. And again, it's not something that is is really promoted as like, oh, you're going to be a professionality. Yeah, go climb. You know, that's... It's definitely not it's a it was a very counterculture thing for a very long time before now it's starting starting to get more and more attention because and it's of, a it's a full lifestyle yeah absolutely but i would i would absolutely say follow your passion and it's it's not only because you know it, it's great but it's it's almost a, a word of caution because for someone that is interested in something that's not mainstream like a like a football or a baseball or soccer or tennis even like there's going to be a lot of points in time in your life that people are going to say hey this i mean why are you doing this like this doesn't make sense it, there's no money maybe you're like it, it's not a, a varsity sport it's not the olympics yet <laughs> but it's it's something that a lot of people don't understand and in my life even i've had people and you'd be surprised who's told me this I've had people telling me I should stop climbing or do something else or (laughs) like quit basically. Right. And I've heard it too. Yeah. And it's really hard to take that as someone who loves the sport or loves doing something so deeply like climbing or Ninja Warrior or whatever you love to do. Like that, that is something that's so powerful. And for, especially for someone like me, I've taken this and it's become such a core part of who I am it's really hard sometimes to continue with that when some so many people are telling you, hey, like, don't do that. And so if you're true to yourself and you realize there's something you really deeply care about, and it doesn't even matter what that is, honestly, like maybe you love doing yo-yo competitions or you're really interested <laughs> yeah. in some sort of art form or whatever it can be, as long as you're following something you're truly passionate about, I think that's really, really important. It helps you to excel. I mean, you love yeah. it and you just want to keep doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think there's going to be, what's it going to take for a non-climber to finish the American Ninja (laughs) Warrior course without being elitist? I mean, I think that climbing really helps develop your upper body and develop your strength, but it takes, it really takes, you know, years and years, 10 years to, you know, it's just different. If you're a 514 climber to go out and have to do 512, you know, you just have such a bigger reserve. You know, and, and what do you think it's going to take for the non-climbers to to be able to finish the course? Sure. So, I mean, 
as you've seen from a lot of top people who have been competing on Ninja Warrior for many years and are now realizing that climbing is a very essential skill you have to have in order to defeat the course. Right, they've started climbing. Yeah, they started climbing. And I think, you know, no matter how old, how young you are, you can always pick up something new and run with it. And I think that's an important lesson for life in general. Like, you're never, like, set. You're never done with learning, I think. Yeah. And realizing that there's always new things you can learn like for me right now i'm learning all about parkour and body movement and awareness like that's all new for me <laughs> and so totally, yeah those are guys who are extremely well versed in something like parkour they're learning how to rock climb when you saw brian arnold you trained with him just yeah. the other day at apex and yeah you came home you're he like he's phenomenal oh my goodness <laughs> he, well, he started I, doing parkour because he's yeah. a climber and he recognized you know i gotta do this parkour stuff yeah absolutely because the pendulum might swing and they might make the course really lower body yeah. agility, and <laughs> exactly. then we're going to be left out to dry. And then it's yep. going to be like, what's it going to take for the climbers yeah. to finish this course? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just being able to be versatile and realizing that there's always new things to learn. So, people that are that did really well last year, like, I mean, you saw Joe Morovsky, you saw uh, Drew Dreschel, and even someone like Jesse, Jesse Graff. Yeah. Like, she's coming out and absolutely dominating courses now. And yeah. it's because they've had such a really good background in all these other sports, maybe not rock climbing, but are now picking up rock climbing skills and they're able to apply it at the show. They're not going to put a 514 obstacle on the course. They're going to put something that, I mean, the obstacle itself is going to be challenging, but... Each person, depending on their background, is going to have different levels of, you know, difficulty with it. So for me, right. the parkour obstacles are very hard, <laughs> but the rock climbing obstacles are relatively easier. So for someone else, it's the other way around. So as long as you can continue to learn, continue to adapt, I think it's going to be open to a lot more people as long as you continue to adapt to what your surroundings are. So being the speed climbing, like, <laughs> superstar champion that you are, what do you think? I mean, if they have a rope out there this year, we don't even know. They might change it up completely. But if they have a rope out there this year, I mean, you just want to get to that rope, don't you? Oh, for stage four? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, the the rope is something that I, you know, initially as a, as a speed climber, I was like, oh, definitely I could I can just speed climb the rope. But it did take actually a fair amount of time to learn the technique for, and it was not easy whatsoever. So coming out, and I, the first time I had exposure to that was I went to a competition at Jason Huey's Central California course, the last time they ever had it there. And it was like a 100-foot rope. I was like, oh, I can climb 100 feet. That's like no big deal, right? It was hard. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I did it in maybe like five minutes <laughs> so yeah. no, definitely not record breaking by any stretch of the imagination well but and now just the other day we set up an 80 foot rope on a huge crane yeah and you did it in 29 seconds yeah yeah so it definitely took oh a lot gosh. of learning the technique and figuring out foot locks and just like again adapting to surroundings like yeah it does take some time you, there's a little some things as a climber you're able to adapt to and pick up naturally but Again, there's most of the things, especially in something like Ninja Warrior, where you may look at it and be like, oh, that's got to be really easy. Most, I would say like 95% of the time, it's not. <laughs> there's going to be something tricky about it. There's going to be something weird that you're not used to. And no matter what background you have, even if you're the best climber in the world, there's going to be some weird thing about it that's going to throw you off. So Vegas is next week. What are you looking forward to the most besides the course? Obviously, you're going to go and geek out on the course and <laughs> think about the course the whole time. But what else are you looking forward to out there? Um, I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is, well, besides running the obstacles, 
um, is just being able to to have that whole experience with the community because Ninja yeah. Warrior community is again very similar to the climbing community where everyone's super supportive like we're all on the same mission we all want to get to the top of Mount Midoriyama yeah uh, it's all something that we have in the back of our minds but we all come from such different backgrounds it'll be really cool meeting a lot of new people hearing their stories because one of the most interesting things about Ninja Warrior is that it's not only the top athletes that are competing in the show it's it's a lot of people with really really inspiring backstories and really cool lessons or or obstacles they've had to overcome in their own lives and as we've heard from listening to these podcasts like yeah. there's some pretty incredible stories out there from people you would never have thought have had really crazy things happen through their lives yeah so incredible. i think that was the biggest learning lesson for me coming into la you know coming in i was like oh wow you know me all these like top athletes that i was able to compete against you know everyone i mentioned earlier but there were so many more people there who were were there competing on behalf of maybe a loved one that they'd lost or had overcome cancer or I mean, last year we saw um, the one kid who was on the show who had autism. Like, that was so inspiring. Yeah, that was very inspiring. And and the, the lesson was that, you know, they're they're here, obviously. They want to compete and do the obstacles and everything. But it's it's so much more beyond that, like we were talking about. It's it's about spreading, spreading positivity, spreading awareness about these certain causes. And even just by showing up, they've won because... Absolutely. It's, it's something that they can then take and say, hey, you know, I'm here representing the, the, the case last year. The He was showing that even something with autism, he's not going to let that obstacle stand his way. He's going to go out there, compete, show what he's got, and prove that if you set your mind to it, you can really do anything. It's really cool. Out of all the all the ninjas over the last seven seasons or whatever, it, it, it's really cool to get a patch i didn't get a patch my first year but you know it's it's kind of like an honor and when you get to go to vegas and you, you get to sport your patch it gives you like a little bit of extra confidence you got to go out there as a rookie and not only did you get a patch but you did it in a really hard finals course that nobody else even finished it's going to be really cool to see you josh in, <laughs> in vegas and i can't wait to see what you can do thanks yeah it, it's going to be cool rock that patch and uh, <laughs> yeah thanks. rock rock it we we might be uh, grooming you for the wolf pack my man oh, you know? <laughs> uh, strong climber great ninja yeah. with a good mission that's <laughs> yeah. what it takes man yeah it's definitely interesting i mean the patch is is definitely a symbol of honor and showing that you're able to conquer the regional course but Again, you have to take that with a grain of salt just because when you get to Vegas, it's all even. So yeah, That's true. Even, I mean, the patch, it literally means nothing almost when you get there just lot, because... Yeah, a lot of guys with patches fall on stage. Oh, down. boy. Yeah, so knock on wood. That hopefully it won't happen. But, <laughs> I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where you can say, okay, you know, I've accomplished that, and I need, just, I need to move on. The next stage I have to conquer is stage one, and I have to conquer that one obstacle at a time. God, one week away. No oh boy. <laughs> Good luck, man. Thanks. <laughs> so now if people want to follow you on social media, what are your handles? Uh, are you on Twitter, Instagram? Sure. Uh, well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn if you'd like. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> I'm kidding. My Instagram handle is josh.levin, and that's spelled J-O-S-H dot L-E-V-I-N. And then Twitter is joshlevin1, number one. 
Yeah, so we've been talking with Josh Levin. He's an incredible guy. It's been really fun having him out at the Wolf Den. Everybody's been kind of slowly tapering. <laughs> We're doing a taper uh, training week, you know, and, and Josh just keeps going. He's he's running back and forth between the Wolf Den and Ian's farm, which is just down the road. Uh, it, it's been awesome having you here, seeing your work ethic. I mean, you know, you're going to be a mechanical engineer and you've been doing this intern stuff with Apple and NASA and and then you're this crazy ninja who's like speed climbing comp champion and who knows, maybe the next American Ninja Warrior champion. And it's really good meeting you, Josh, and having you come and stay with the Wolf Pack. You're a good friend already, and thanks so much. Thank you, Noah. It's been awesome. Well, there you have it, Josh Levin, the rookie. What a great guy and a future superstar, a current superstar on American Ninja Warrior. Can't wait to see what he does in Vegas. Let's take a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll get to it and... Megan and I will talk about this a little bit. Wow, that was a very great interview by Josh Levin. I'm really liking that he's taking his personal experience and really trying to like help out someone so important to him in his life by like pushing people to donate organs since someone so close to him has ha- had to have a, a double lung transplant. Like I think that's amazing that he cares so much to use, you know, American Enjoyer to help spread the news about that. I think that's pretty great to see, especially from someone so young who, I mean, you're, I mean, that's a very selfless thing to do. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think that, you know, except unless you have like a religious belief, it kind of makes sense to be an organ donor. So I like what he's doing because there's so many people who are just like, I don't really want to do it because maybe they don't want to think about their own death or something, you know, but you're kind of given a gift, right? Yeah, totally. He's definitely a good guy. Megan, what did you think about, uh, like, he's done all, he's an engineer and he's doing, like, this jet propulsion stuff and Apple. It seems like he's kind of, like, cutting-edge tech kid. Yeah, I mean, ever since I've known Josh, I've always considered him to be a pretty smart kid. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he's, you know, been getting some good internships and, like, job offers and stuff from techie companies because I think it's totally right up his alley. And I mean, I think it's awesome that he's able to do all that. And who knows, maybe he'll figure out some new obstacles to build too, which would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, he'll contribute to the ninja world. Yeah. he uh, He's actually working on the Mars rover, which is amazing. That is so cool. I know, it's incredible. Smart kid. Yeah, way smarter than me. <laughs> I think it's really cool to see how Josh had a dream and – You know, he did everything he could to, you know, make it come true. And being on American Ninja Warrior, like, fulfilled that for him. And then on top of just being there with all of the competitors that he looked up to, like, the fact that he was able to, like, beat all of – or not all of them, but beat all the ones in his region. And then, like, he's still obviously just so in all of them. And he probably is just shocked that he's at the same level as them and it's just really cool to see how humble he is and how much respect he has for the ninja community i think you know he's a very good addition yeah he's an incredible addition he feels like another character in the in the gang part of the family he's he's a really really good ninja obviously as a rookie and what's cool is and you you said this you know like this was a dream that he's had he's been training for it for a long time you know he met you a long time ago and was picking your brain about it you had been on the show and he said it was like a dream standing up there. I mean, imagine if you've wanted to like fly your whole life and then all of a sudden you get this opportunity and then you totally kill it. Like he just, yeah. he did so great. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. 
Well, I can't wait to see how he does in Vegas, and he's just going to do a lot of good in this world overall, even outside of Ninja, I think. Yeah, totally. Well, today's episode's been a little bit long, which is okay. Thank you so much to our guest, Josh Levin. What an interesting and phenomenal young man. And a special super thank you to superstar Jesse Graff. Unbelievable, unbelievable. She's incredible. She's going to be rocking it down in Vegas. And I think between her and Megan, we're going to be seeing history made once again. I bet. I bet. So anyways, thanks so much for joining the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. I'm the Ninja Doc, Noah Kaufman, signing out. See you next week. Thanks so much for joining the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. If you liked it, please tell a friend. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It would mean a lot. Remember to visit our website at www.wolfpackninjas.com and join us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at Wolfpack Ninja and on Instagram at Wolfpack Ninja Warrior. Join us next time for another exciting episode with your favorite ninjas and informative health tips. Stuff like that, and you forget about it. No, I don't forget anything. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I go, hold on, it's happening. Yeah, I go left hand. Oh, I love that left hand. Oh, this boulder is so cool. I kind of want to get on. I actually don't ever want to get on it again, but <laughs> yeah, dude. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's fun. That was, that was good. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.